and welcome to Mystery. I'm Vincent Price. Tonight, another exciting adventure with the world's most famous consulting detective, Sherlock Holmes. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle tells us that Holmes was devoted to his pipe, and that, in fact, he had several uh, dirty clays, some uh, straight-stemmed bulldogs, and a favorite cherry wood for difficult disputations. But when American actor William Gillette starred in his own play about Holmes at the turn of the century, he found that the only pipe he could keep balanced in his mouth, which still allowed him to speak his lines, was a droop-bowl gooseneck meerschaum. Now, this detail, not found in Conan Doyle, soon was picked up by illustrators of Holmes's tales and quickly became part of what most of us accept as Sherlock Holmes's standard image. Tonight, we find Holmes smoking his long cherry wood pipe, for he is in a most disputatious mood as he begins The Adventure of the Copper Beaches. Despite Holmes's attentiveness to Violet Hunter, Watson wrote, Rather to my disappointment, he manifested no further interest in her when once she had ceased to be the center of one of his problems. Well, Watson shouldn't have been surprised by this, for on many occasions the famous detective was fond of insisting, I use my head, not my heart. Holmes never made love in any story that Conan Doyle wrote. And Jeremy Brett, who plays Holmes in our series, believes that it wasn't just a question of Victorian censorship that caused the omission. I don't believe he ever had sex at all, Brett said. I personally don't believe that he ever allowed passion to disturb his brain. On many occasions, Holmes admitted that he never held a very high opinion of women in general. And Watson tells us that he had, in fact, a positive aversion to them. Holmes stated it bluntly and unequivocally, women are never to be entirely trusted, not the best of them. His dislike and distrust of the opposite sex was made quite clear in Billy Wilder's 1970 film, The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, which suggested that Holmes and Watson were a um, couple. Needless to say, the film caused a sensation among Holmes' enthusiasts, and London's Sherlock Holmes Society was outraged. Barrister Anthony Hallett, a member of the Society, quietly admitted that occasionally the group had discussed the possibility. We played around with the idea, Hallett confessed, twisting quotations and taking them out of context, but that was only for our own amusement. We never would have admitted it in public. Holmesian scholars continue to examine Conan Doyle's texts, and most find that after all the evidence is weighed, that there is no reason for doubting Holmes's own words, I have never loved. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the LBC Irregulars, a story-by-story review of the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes series produced by Granada Television between 1984 and 1994. I'm your new host, Kathy, podcast name to be determined, Bright. 
Joining me on this adventure through Sherlock Holmes is Jared, the yard sale artist, Albrecht. Well, hello, Kathy. Congratulations on your new show. Yeah, we had to fire Gene. He was stealing. (laughs) I think he was stealing things from LBC headquarters. No, Gene got overcome by other things. He's very, very busy and and voiceover work and podcasting and and that kind of thing. And so we wrapped uh, me and Gene and decided it'd be best. We parted on good terms, everyone. Everyone tuning and listening. No one's mad at Gene. Gene's not mad at us. He just needed to do other things. So he's basically handed the reins of the show over to Kathy podcast nickname to be determined bright and she's going to be running things she is going to be in charge of our sherlock holmes stuff so that's why you have a new host and as a welcoming gift kathy i want you to have this dead bird that i recently killed uh much appreciated <laughs> did you bring me anything or is we splitting this dead bird <laughs> I, I brought you a um a mastiff oh a mastiff good good is he um is he well fed and <laughs> like oh. Okay. okay. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. <clears throat> well, while I get concerned about this very live Mastiff that she's brought with her to the studio and she plays with her very dead bird. <laughs> so before we get started on all that synopsis talk and all that kind of thing that we normally do, let's get a feel for Kathy and, you know, of course, welcome her to LBC headquarters. She now is living in the garage where Jean used to, used to live. And get Kathy's familiarization with Sherlock Holmes. So what is your history of Sherlock Holmes? You didn't just take over the show because there was a vacancy now, did you? Well, I mean, I guess y'all realized I didn't have anything better to do with my time. So it's like, sure, Kathy, come host this show for us. You didn't say no. Well, I did not. (laughs) And as you are aware, I'm a bit of a car girl. So the garage could not be a more fitting place for me. Mm -hmm. True, true. But thank you. Very glad to be here. I'm excited. My first adventure with Sherlock Holmes was with the black and white Hounds of Baskervilles. Like probably most people my age used to be on um, TV quite a bit. Basil Rathbone, like Hound of Baskervilles from the 40s probably. That would be correct. Yes. I remember watching that as a kid and being scared and being intrigued and enjoying some Sherlock Holmes. And I'm not very familiar with the Jeremy Brett series, but I have enjoyed going back and watching the episodes to get caught up, but I have pretty much seen all other incarnations of Sherlock over the years. Do you have a favorite? I'm going to have a favorite that's probably not the most popular. Well, I say that. Everybody loves Benedict Cumberbatch. He is favorite, but Johnny Lee Miller gives Benedict Cumberbatch a very good run for his money. He's in a show called Elementary with Lucy Liu as his Watson. I've actually never seen any of that for being a a pretty big Holmes guy. I have season one on my Plex server, so I need to get to that. But uh, yeah, I got nothing on it. So you're the leading expert on that for this show. (laughs) Maybe that'll be up next when we're done with the Jeremy Brett series. It could be. So the interesting thing is this show started as Gene being sort of this ambassador to the Jeremy Brett series. He'd seen them all a million times and he was bringing me through as the new guy. And then now we have Kathy, who's going to be taking over the series and bringing in various guests uh, through the show to go through these episodes. And Kathy's new to the Jeremy Brett. So she's watching these new. And I got so excited about doing these with Gene that I ended up, I've watched them all. So I'm more like the Gene now. (laughs) And Kathy's more like the Jared. But she's running the show, folks. So (laughs) two relatively fresh takes. I've seen them all probably once each. And then I'm revisiting them now with Kathy. And 
Kathy's experiencing them for the first time. And she's put a lot of work in on this, done a lot of research behind the scenes. And so uh, we're excited to get going with her first episode. And let's do that. Let's get into the synopsis. Kathy's about to give you the synopsis for the episode, The Copper Beaches, which is the first episode of their second season. If you're not familiar with The Copper Beaches, you might get the ending spoiled. So if you need to pause it, go find your Jeremy Brett DVDs or VHS tapes, Betamax, whatever it is you have. Pop them in, watch them. We'll be here. And Kathy's about to start the synopsis for Copper Beaches. Unemployed governess, Violet Hunter, arrives at 221B seeking advice from Sherlock Holmes regarding a job offer that she has accepted from the unusual man named Rucastle. Violet is concerned by a few odd requirements for the job, one of which is cutting off her luxurious locks of hair. Reassured by Holmes, Violet settles in at Rue Castle's manor, known as the Copper Beaches. Within a few days, she finds a length of chestnut hair almost identical to her own laying in a chest drawer. Concerned, she calls Holmes and Watson for help. Violet explains that Rue Castle has ordered her to wear a specific electric blue dress, sit with her back to a particular window, and wave away a young man she notices watching the house from the street. After contacting Holmes and Watson, Violet sneaks into a suspicious tower of the manor and realizes that it is occupied by a mysterious prisoner. She is caught by Rucastle, who is furious at her intrusion into the private areas of his manor and threatens to throw her to his starved mastiff. During a planned absence by Rucastle, Holmes and Watson arrive. Having heard a woman's cry, they rush to the tower, but it's too late. The tower is empty. Upon his arrival home, Rucastle finds the two men in the now empty tower along with the governess, whom he mistakes as his once-captive daughter, Alice. Mad with rage, he runs to release his mastiff, but instead of attacking the intruders, the ill-treated hound turns against its cruel master. Holmes later learns from the housekeeper that in an attempt to steal her fortune, Rue Castle imprisoned his daughter, Alice, keeping her from marrying her fiancé, Fowler. Fowler was not fooled by this plan to deceive him with an Alice lookalike, and he took advantage of Rue Castle's absence to set his beloved free. In the end, Alice marries Fowler, Violet Hunter begins a successful career as a headmistress, and Rue Castle, savaged by his mastiff, remains disabled and dependent on his wife forever. Right. Well done, Kathy, on your very first summary read. <laughs> and now it is time for some highs and lows where we each take a look at the good and the bad of this episode. Copper Beaches, 1985, I believe this was. Round one, Kathy, do you have a high or a low or a what the for Copper Beaches? Well, we're going to start with a high. And my high, oddly enough, is the introduction of Natasha Richardson. As soon as I saw that name, I adore her. I don't know how much you know of her. I don't. Who did she play in the episode? She was Violet Hunter. Okay, so the lead. Correct. Gotcha. And apparently this was her first role. Yeah, According I think- to IMDb, there was a couple of smaller things. Maybe they weren't nationally televised. I'm not sure. But- oh, okay, because I did notice in the credits, it did say introducing, I think, by her name. Yeah. Correct. She is. She was. The 
spouse of Liam Neeson. Oh. Her mother is Vanessa Redgrave. Oh. Who, as you probably know her from, Max in the Mission Impossible movie. Oh. Very funny. <laughs> very nice. Um, so I know a good bit about, sadly, she had a very tragic death. She had a oh. head injury from a fall on the ski slopes and did not seek treatment. Then within a day or two, she passed away from her head injuries. Oh, my goodness. So Natasha was a definite hat for me. I think she did a great job in the show. And I agree with her. I would cut the man off as soon as he said, cut your hair. No, (laughs) no, sir. Not happening. Well, you, much like her, have a most unique color of chestnut going on. Thank you. Some people would consider it. Auburn color hair, but <laughs> thank you. It it is definitely one of my favorite attributes, I should say, about myself. I would have a very, very, very difficult time cutting my hair. Ah, uh, so you had no matter the price. So even if I, I was going to offer you 130 for the year, but okay, <laughs> no, all right, I got it. It's fine. What about you, Jared? Do you have a high for this episode, I or a low, or think, a what the? Ooh, too many to choose from. Uh, <laughs> I think. I'm going to go with, let's round one. Let's go with a high. Let's start off with a peppy step. Even though my high is going to be weird. So the guy who played Rue Castle, Joss Ackland, I immediately recognized him from Lethal Weapon 2. <laughs> I knew he looked very familiar, but I could not place what he was from. And for some reason, I did not pull up the IMDb as I normally do in that situation. That is odd for you. <laughs> that, is, that is odd for you. It, it um, is. So this Josh Ackley guy shows up, and I'm like, oh, this is the dude from Lethal Weapon 2. Then I have to remind myself that Lethal Weapon 2 is another four years away. And then I have to remind myself, I think that's the only thing I've ever seen. What part did he play in Lethal Weapon? The main bad guy, the, the South uh, African diplomat that was sort of lording his power over and having killed and... Yeah, yeah, Lethal Weapon 2. I just watched it on VHS the other day. (laughs) Oh, Lethal Weapon 2. I don't remember as much about that one as I did the first one. Diplomatic immunity. Why do I see him wearing a spectacle? Is that what that's called? The one eyeglass? The correct word is monocle. Did he wear one in this episode? He might have. Maybe that's why. Maybe it's the reason. (laughs) Well, anyway, I want to put him as my high because he's really good at being a bad guy and what i even struck me like in lethal weapon 2 he's a pure villain like you just don't like him from day one he's unlikable beginning in in this one he has to be a manipulator and at some points he actually kind of wins her over because he he can be charming and funny even though I don't know that those stories were terrible. Yeah, I wish we would have been able to hear a little more because they did not seem as amusing as she was. Yes, that was almost my intro bit today. I was like, I was like, do I offer a dead bird or do I? I tell her the story about the guy who looks like a scarecrow and his <laughs> arms are all like that. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yes, you're you're right. He did have that first scene where he sees her for the first time. And the look that came across his face, I'm like, ooh, this dude's creepy. Mm -hmm. Creepy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the way he plays it is really quite cool because he takes the viewer along with the main female lead. He takes us along with her, essentially. And originally, let's be honest, I think we were all like, is this guy just kind of a creeper? Is this like a sexual thing? Is this 
Right. That he was just looking for a particular. Yeah. Looking for the right kind of girl that he can dress up and like, that's Mm -hmm. pretty weird. Right. Turns out to still be nefarious, but not, it's not as creepy as we are (laughs) kind of led to believe, even though it's not, (laughs) it's, it's not charming by any means, but coming back to the actor, I think he did a good job of sort of taking us on that roller coaster ride from creepy to kind of funny and a little charming the back to menacing like he shows a lot of range there's where i'm going there is my first round hi yes he definitely scared me a bit when they were in the hallway towards the end of the episode he was you're right mm-hmm. no, i will I, agree with that hi he straight up told her i will feed you to my mastiff <laughs> like okay <laughs> you've turned the corner to villain officially <laughs> exactly all right with that let's get into round two it is your turn what do you think I am actually going to go with another high. And speaking of him in the hallway, the chase scene was quite impressive to me. I know Holmes can be very introspective and, you know, sometimes even in the same location. But this was very action. It was thrilling watching them run around. I was on the edge of my seat, like, what's going to happen? Them running through the house in the chase scene. I thought was very well done and it had me thrilled. Mm, yes. Yes. This is a more like an action-y episode. A lot of times you get home sitting in the, on the couch and <laughs> do to be Baker street or, or things like that. But yeah, and there's going to be a few, there's plenty more to come where we get to see an, uh, an action oriented homes. But yeah, like you said, there's a lot of tense thrillerness. I think you use the word thriller. I think it's the perfect word for it. Yeah. Intense. Yeah. Not bad at all. Uh, from my round two, maybe not bad enough to call a low, maybe more of a what the something that I was maybe just not as impressed with is it Holmes might have solved a lot of things, but the way the story played out, he got like 80% of his information from this housekeeper who just kind of gave him this info dump. Like she gave all the pieces to the puzzle that he needed. And while Holmes might have sussed that out, had figured that out, like it, it never played that way. It was absolutely her like info dumping to him and Watson, like all right. the key pieces of the puzzle. Right. Cause he, even when they were on the train, he said he had seven different ideas of what could be going on. And we never really saw him explain. Right. If he was ever correct in any of his assessments. Absolutely. agree. Even though we're sort of out of high and lows, Officially by our script, we have two rounds of each. I definitely want to talk about. We're not playing by Pat rules. We are. We're okay. 100% playing by Pat rules <laughs> because I definitely want to talk about this episode. Had really nice bookend Holmes Watson moments where Holmes is in that bad mood at the beginning. He just wants to lash out at anybody. So he's being a jerk to Watson about his oh, writings. Absolutely. Like he's going on and on about, oh, you've turned what should be a series of lectures into these, you know, pop and fluff mystery stories full of fancy and exaggeration. All Like, he's just bitter. And I love how Watson has been around him long enough to know, like, he knew, like, the minute he picked up that pipe, he's like, you only smoke that pipe. <laughs> right. It's like, that pipe mood. makes you a bad man. It gets you in a bad mood. <laughs> he should he should somehow hide that pipe somewhere else if that's the case. <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is, and then we can flash forward to the end. They're back at home and... Watson kind of recaps how he wrote this Copper Beaches adventure. And he's like, well, what do you think, Holmes? And Holmes is like, Holmes gives him that like backhanded compliment. Oh, well, I think the literary realm is more for you, Watson. I'll trust you on that. He called it admirable work, I believe is the <laughs> quote. 
And I love how Watson, like, he's got that look and he's like, I don't know that this is a compliment. <laughs> and then Holmes got that look on his face, like, eh, it's kind of not. A well, I do like how Jeremy Brett plays the sly smile. Mm-hmm. He knows what Watson wants and needs from him. And I think it brings him a little bit of joy to actually give it to him at particular times. So but I like that little grin at the end. But I did want to make note, talking about the difference in getting in the end, the difference in just their outlook in general when they're on the train yes. and they're looking out of the countryside. And Watson is very dreamy and very relaxing and beautiful and saw everything positive about it. And Holmes was like, I just see crime and danger. Yeah. <laughs> Those five miles make it dangerous and isolated. Mm-hmm. Like just that small difference was something I made note of. Absolutely. Ah, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, it was in my pat notes as well, because we've well busted through our two rounds. It was definitely in my notes too. Watson, like, look at these quaint cottages out in the country. So peaceful, so quiet. I was like, yeah, it's the perfect place to commit a crime because, you know, <laughs> like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Which actually should make him happy because that means there's things for him to solve, right? Uh, and yeah. as we know, he thrives on having cases to solve. <laughs> and, and I'm going to do my last pat point. I was just dying laughing when Holmes was being so Holmes when that girl first came to see them. And he was like, I'm using my detective skills to help this girl decide <laughs> whether or not she should take a job. And like, he's doing everything he can to get dismiss her from the room. He's doing hand gestures like, you can go now. <laughs> Did you notice him playing with her hair? Like a couple of times he went close to her hair, like he was going to stroke her hair. It was almost like a intimate moment he was trying to get close to but then he was like oh wait i don't need to do that so i don't know what that was and it could have just been me i must have missed that that's definitely worth going back to take a look at do have one more quick pat point i do have a tiniest of lows well it's kind of not that tiny why they gotta kill the dog man the mastiff was he trained to be an attack dog he was starved to death i mean did they have to kill him i mean between the dog the bird and several cockroaches. This was this is not the most animal friendly episode. <laughs> the bird and the cockroaches were the other episode, were they not? No, they were in this one. Oh, they were because that's the kid. The oh, kid. Okay. Yeah, the, they, we, we didn't talk a lot about that. They were using this girl to be a doppelganger for their daughter to get at her money, and then they had this son who was just an absolute creeper himself. Like here's <laughs> yes, a he dead was. bird, and in my spare time, I go to the basement to kill cockroaches. Like what is going on with this kid? <laughs> I think we've exhausted the conversation. I hand it back to you, Kathy, for your first foray into pipe reveals. Overall, what did we think of this episode? Well, we just happen to have a rating system for that. On a scale of one to five pipes, obviously we're going to throw out that one that gets Sherlock in a bad mood. Yeah, we're not going to use the bad mood pipe. No. On a scale of one to five pipes, five being you loved it, it solved your mystery. Four, it was really good. Three, it was all right. Two, you did not like it. One, you hated it. It threw you off Reichenbach Falls. How would you rate this story, Jared? I need Joe November to be here on this episode because I'm really I completely agree. Go ahead. 3.5. Is that what you're thinking? 3.5? Oh, Kathy's got more to reveal, apparently. I was thinking 3.5. Okay, so my case for a four is it was a good thriller. And if you weren't familiar with the story at all, like you've never read it or whatever, I could definitely see you go, what? 
is going on? Is this guy a creeper? Why is he dressing her up? Why does she have to sit there? Why does she have to wave the guy on? It does a good job of building that. The downside of it, where I drift more towards the three, is they didn't show home solving enough for me. Like I said, it's basically an info dump from the housekeeper that gives us everything we need. And again, maybe Holmes had already figured that out, but not really conveyed that way. That's why I'm at a Joe November 3.5, and it's tough. I will land on the four. I will give this a four. Even though I needed more home solving mystery, I'm going to bump it up actually on the strength of the performance of Joss Ackland. He was just so good at being weird and captivating. So I'll go four. I understand. I was actually thinking of a four plus, you know, like an A plus. We're going to do a four plus. Let's <laughs> pull on a Joe November. He's not on the show. <laughs> well, but it's a little different. I think I'm going to land on the four based off something you said where this is a first watch for me. And like Jean, I'm kind of that completionist too. I'm reading the stories and then I'm watching each episode. So I'm getting both sides. And because it was fresh for me, it was very thrilling. It wasn't a just to sit in his room and solve the problem. It was getting out in an adventure. And so I gave it a four. I did go back and watch all the previous episodes. I don't know if Natasha helped push it over that line because I really do like her a lot. This is probably one of my favorite episodes and maybe the solitary cyclist. Oh, okay. I enjoyed both of those episodes, but this is probably one of my favorites. You know, if I'm forced to think back over the ones we've done, the one that always leaps to mind for me, I just always enjoy the blue carbuncle, the one with the geese. That one to me is very entertaining, but I did dig the solitary cyclist as well. So we are, we have opened the door. We've got on the floor and both of us picked a four. Boom, boom. Okay, now with all of our pipe ratings in, I know Pat's jealous right now because we just had all those pipes out. That's it for the show. I'm just kidding. There's more. Of course, we're going to do another episode. Kathy is here to give us a recap on the Greek interpreter. Once again, if you're not familiar with this story, you're going to get your ending spoiled. So if you need to pause here and take care of that, go ahead and do that. But with no further ado, Kathy, interpret the Greek. Mycroft Holmes calls in his brother Sherlock to listen to the remarkable events that Mr. Malus, a Greek interpreter, has found himself involved in. One evening, Mr. Malus, having been enlisted for his services by a Mr. Latimer, was shoved into a coach and taken to an undisclosed location. Upon their arrival, Malus discovers the master of the house, Kemp, has a man held captive. Kemp wants his Greek prisoner, Paul Cretides, to sign a mysterious document and is in need of Malus to help translate. During this troubling encounter, Malus catches a glimpse of a woman who he will later find out to be Cretides' sister, Sophia. Cretides remains steadfast in his decision to not sign the documents. And frustrated, Latimer shoves Malus back in the coach and drops him in an unknown area. Holmes and Watson determine that the sister Sophia Cretides, while staying in Great Britain, developed a relationship with Latimer. Worried, her brother and guardian, Paul Cretides, hurried to London, but was abducted and confined in an attempt to have him sign over Sophia's fortune to Latimer. Thanks to an advertisement, advertisement for you, Alan, placed in the papers, Mycroft, Sherlock, and Watson rushed to the address of Sophia. They planned to pick Malus up at his place, but Kemp, aware that the Greek interpreter 
has betrayed his secret, was abducted. Watson, Inspector Gregson, and the Holmes brothers arrive at the Myrtles just in time to save Malus from asphyxiation. But Gratides is dead, and the villains have left, taking the girl with them. Sherlock and his companions succeed in boarding the runaway's train. Having found Latimer, Inspector Gregson tells him Malus is alive and will testify against him. The criminal tries to escape by jumping from the train, but is killed. Meanwhile, Mycroft has cunningly disarmed Kemp, who is then handed over to the police. Excellent job, Kathy. On both of our synopsis today, we have borrowed heavily from the website, the Arthur Conan Doyle Encyclopedia. has a lot of good information on there. We want to make sure you guys check that out. Yeah, that website is pretty cool, by the way. It has a ton of cool information on there about all kinds of stuff. Really helpful site. So anyways, it's time to get into our highs and lows for this episode. Oh, look, the script says I get to go first this time. So my high is going to be Charles Gray as Mycroft. (laughs) This guy has played Blofeld in a James Bond movie. He also played Mr. Henderson in a James Bond movie. So Wait, I didn't realize that. (laughs) (laughs) So you know I'm going to call him my first eye. Heck yes. Yeah, he played the Bond ally, Mr. Henderson, and you only live twice, and he played Blofeld himself in Diamonds Are Forever. And I'm always going to be excited. I, maybe the two Bond movies I've never seen. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> you know, I've seen them all. This is the last episode. <laughs> We're done here. Wait, it's your show. I can't kick you off. <laughs> Dang, I have no power here. Oh, you know, if I come across a James Bond actor, I'm going to get very excited. And of course, Charles Gray's cool. He's an odd choice, I think, to play Holmes. As, I know it's his older brother, but it's like, it's much older. <laughs> I don't know what the difference in ages of the two men are. And I could probably look that up and get back to you guys in a couple minutes, but he seems like much older, but you know what? He was just clearly having fun with the part, the way he acts at the Diogenes club to like, basically in a very cool and old school British way. He basically says, yeah, I could do what Holmes does, but I just, I'm tired and lazy and I don't want to get off the couch. (laughs) Exactly. As as Holmes puts it, he lacks ambition and energy, which I feel like maybe I'm Mycroft. Are you the Sherlock to my Mycroft? I'm thinking maybe. Oh man, I don't know. I also lack ambition. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what, Kathy? I've been doing my due diligence here to the side and I stand corrected. Charles Gray just looks older than Jeremy (laughs) Brett. They're only five years apart, much like myself and the Mycroft and my Sherlock, Jason the Weasel Skull Albrecht. <laughs> if y'all could see her face, because she's five years I wasn't going to reveal on the podcast that you're five years old than me, but now they know. Now hey, they know. I've never understood lying saying that I'm younger. It's like, I want people to say, oh, she looks good for her age. If I say I'm younger, then they're like, oof, she looks, r- <laughs> she looks rough. What happened? <laughs> exactly. I'm always going to say I'm older. So I, I, am, I, I am 50 years old. And I can attest that she does not look 50. She gets that compliment quite a bit. I do. Well-deserved. So it's your turn for a high or a low. I mean, you could pick Charles Gray, too, if you want. We talk about Charles Gray all day, but what do you got? <laughs> I'm actually going to pick a particular scene. I love the scene, and it does involve him. The scene where Mycroft and Sherlock are describing that scene outside the window. One, the Back and forth, they're just so connected in that world. 
They are one person. My favorite part of that scene is Watson seeing the joy (laughs) on his face. One, that Sherlock has a brother, that he has someone, because that whole opening monologue about he always thought he was a loner, that he didn't have any family or anything. So to see his face that he really does have a brother, but to the joy he saw watching them in their, both in their element, going back and forth, that just, that brought me joy. I really enjoyed that scene. Same here. It was really well played. Like you said, on all three of their parts, because Holmes and, well, Holmes, uh, <laughs> Sherlock and Mycroft. <laughs> Holmes and Holmes. Are almost playing a game of one-upsmanship, but it feels like it has a dash of competitiveness, but not overwhelmed by it. Like it's more oh, yeah, like absolutely synergistic. Like oh, I can add this, and I can add this, and I can add this, and it's a little bit of one-upsmanship, but it's not. It's more in good fun. I felt like it was more of a we can finish each other's sentences because yeah. we understand each other and we can do the same thing. Yeah, very collaborative, and like you said, the way that David Burke plays it, I okay, love him. Good. He's Probably my favorite between him and Holmes. I really love Watson. I really do. Oh my goodness. Do I have some bad news for you? <laughs> I, I've heard. I've gone back and I've listened to the previous podcast because I didn't want to, you know, come in cold turkey. The news isn't that bad. David Burke gets replaced by Edward Hardwick after this season. And I'm going to be honest with you, you know, I think Edward Hardwick catches unnecessary amount of crap. And I think Burke was a little better hardwick's a little more i don't know fatherly might be a word but he's still good i like hardwick just fine but yeah burke is he's sharp he's sharp in this he's a gym maybe even a blue carbuncle (laughs) gym he's the blue carbuncle the whole thing (laughs) okay so for my next high i'm gonna go with holmes's clear disdain for police procedure I think Holmes's best line of this episode, oh, maybe the last one, I'll come back to that in some pat points. But I think one of his best lines is when he's just so fed up with police procedure because he's like, listen, we got to go save this guy. He's been kidnapped. This kidnapping's probably going to turn into a murder. Time is of the essence. And their police contact, well, I wouldn't say it was Gregson, but their police contact is like, well, I got to you know, do this by the book. We got to get the warrant. We got to get the judge to sign off. And like, Holmes just is not having it. The police guy is like, how am I going to get the magistrate to sign at this hour? Holmes says, it needs to be done at this very minute. He's so at the end of his rope with this guy, but still bottling up his anger. Just very Holmes to be like, I've solved this, but I need you guys to get off your butts. (laughs) Come on. And do something with it. You know, so it was classically good Jeremy Brett acting of just being right at that edge. If I'm about ready to just lose my crap with these people. People, but still being that very barely in control of his emotions. I will agree with all that. Thank you. (laughs) Other than Scotland Yard loves their paperwork, Holmes wasn't having it. All right, Kathy, what is your round two? I'm going to go with it's kind of a scene, but it's also just a line from the episode. Apparently, this podcast episode is going to be entitled Creepy Dudes of Sherlock Holmes, because both (laughs) of the bad guys in these episodes are creepy. And did you get a Raiders of the Lost Ark vibe? Mm -hmm. That's all I saw was the dude from Raiders of the Lost Ark in that episode. Yep. I had the tote vibe as well. Yes. But when he is threatening Malus and he says, try any tricks, God help you. Say more than what you're told would be better had you never been born. Mm. 
<laughs> I'm like, that scared me. I'm like, oh. He was a creepy guy. <laughs> so creepy. Yeah, they definitely hold him out. And I know we're kind of done with our official rounds and we're going to pad it up here for a second. To me, I really thought this episode, while the front half was pretty good, I really truly got more invested when they get on the train figuring out first they had to figure out which compartment they were in because there was like two groups that had the same description and it was cool to watch Holmes be able to just basically peek in a window and go no that's not them because she's a school teacher on her way to do this and she's hoping to find (laughs) romance it's like he's knows like all this stuff about them that right how (laughs) okay you just take his word for it you just take his word for it (laughs) so I like that part of the train they had to figure out where to go then the two villainous guys were separated so you got to watch Mycroft sort of work his half of it and Holmes work his half. I agree. I found that scene very intriguing as well. But that is one difference. The story does not go into the train. Oh. But I remember I made a note of when I was reading the story that the ending to me hinted at the fact that she ended up killing Latimer and Kemp. Oh. Definitely took a different turn on this episode. Correct. Well, that's interesting. One of the more interesting things about this one, too, was there was some talk early on about Holmes's low opinion of women. He basically said something about they can't be trusted or bizarre creatures or whatever. <laughs> it's Holmes. And they talk about his low opinion of women early in the episode. And then at the end of this episode, and I wonder if they did that for that sort of dramatic book ending. He straight up asks her, you would still marry this guy knowing full well he murdered your brother? And she was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Holmes was like, because he didn't even ask, like, what's going to happen to her? And he, he was like, well, nothing beyond her questioning. It's not illegal to be cold hearted or something like that. And I was like, dang. The episode did nothing to help Holmes's view of, <laughs> of women because that, that lady was cold. Correct. Yes, she was. I think the only kind of low I have in this is because it was a bit confusing a lot of characters, a lot of names that we weren't used to hearing. So I was a little confused. I didn't realize that that was her brother. I thought it was her lover, not her brother, until I read the story. So <laughs> <laughs> Reading the stories will definitely help you. All right. Anything else on this one before we pipe it up, Kathy? Not that I can think of. I think I've covered all my notes or my totes. <laughs> oh. Well, then I pass it to you. So what did we think of this episode, Jared? As a reminder, we have a rating system for that. On a scale of one to five pipes, five being you loved it, it solved your mystery. Four, it was really good. Three, eh, it was okay. Two, you did not like it. One, you hated it. It threw you off of rock and box balls. How would you rate this story, Jared? Mm, I like this one quite a bit. It's got that Charles Gray bump. He literally did bump a guy at the end and steal his gun. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he did. (laughs) Which was kind of cool. Again, this would be a fine Joe November because I'm really feeling a 4.5 on this one. I got a funny feeling that every time Mycroft shows up, Jared's going to be super generous. So I'm giving this the full five. I love seeing Mycroft there. I love especially the train part. Like you said, David Burke's just whimsical interest in this brother relationship that he just found out about. It was very charming. I do love that scene. I'm going to go five, but I won't judge you if you don't match it because you don't have the Charles Gray attachment that I do. I do not. Ooh, and now I'm questioning what I was going to give it. I Stick tend to your guns, to... Gabby. Stick to your guns. 
I kind of went with I was comparing the two episodes against each other. And because I enjoyed the Copper Beaches so much and gave it a four, I was leaning towards giving this a three. But uh, us talking about that scene with, I mean, it's Mycroft. I love Mycroft, the character. And so I'm going to bump it up and give it a four. It's still not your five, but I'm going to give it a four. That's fine. We don't have to match. And uh, it's perfectly okay. Okay, before we ride off in our handsome cab for this episode, let's thank the Crusaders Club members who help pay the rent here at 221B. These are the fine folks who have joined our crusade. They enjoy early access to special long box episodes, voting on show content, and so much more. Here are the folks reaping the benefits and giving some much appreciated support. Angelica Wolf. Ow! Auburn Elvis. Bill Beer. Blast it or stash it. Braxton Underwood. Captain Entropy. Clinton Robison. Dave Collins. Battle Wagon. Gary Viola. Former showrunner of this <laughs> Our good friend Gene Hendricks. Hey Gene. Gerald Green. Jason Keane. Jeremy L. Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman. I hope you like Jim Jarman too. Joe Thomas. John Watson, John Watson, John Watson, John Watson. I hope you like John Watson, too. Josh Strickland. Candace Ward. Kathy Bright. That's me. That's you. <laughs> Mark Ross, a.k.a. Cluck Trent. Maxwell Traver. Michael Wagner. Miranda W. P.D. Devins. Paul Hicks. Rick from Jeff and Rick Present. Rob Morgan. Ross Michaud. Ryan Daly. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski. Spidey 67. Steve Cronin. Tim Price. Tony Pennington. And the Toronto Cop. If we missed anyone on the list, we apologize. Keep in mind we record these episodes well in advance of well in advance of release, especially on this show. So if you're a recent addition and we're talking several months, <laughs> we should be adding you soon. But still, no worries. Just let us know if we missed you by sending an email to contact at longboxcrusade.com. We'll get it straightened out, and frankly, Pat enjoys the correspondence. As a reminder, you can become a Crusaders Club member by heading over to patreon.com slash longboxcrusade for as little as $1 a month. You get access, and I mean all the access, to the amazing world of the Crusaders Club. Come check it out. Offer not available in all areas, especially for Jason. Well, that will wrap up these two stories. We'd love to hear from you if you're familiar with the original or the Granada adaptations. You can contact the Longbox Crusade on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Longbox Crusade. Or you can email contact at longboxcrusade.com. Or we have a phone number, Jared. You can always give us a call and leave us a voice message at 707-532-5269 or 707-532-LBOX. Pick up the phone. If you want to chat with me personally, I can be found at Yard Sale Artists. That's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's all at Yard Sale Artists. You can check out my wares at www.theyardsaleartist.com. And I do have some Sherlock Holmes book page sketch goodness. So, yeah, this whole thing was a commercial for my website. Kathy? I can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at AUKathy2418. And that's Kathy with a K. Be sure to join us next quarter as we take a look at the Norwood Builder and the resident patient. We'll see you guys then. Bye.
the mute button. That's what the mute button's for. You better shut that ice up. <laughs> now you got a real outtake. Everybody with the ice. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we're whispering. I cut it out. We don't whisper. We don't whisper. I know, right? It's weird. Funny story, Kathy. I'm making mine up on the spot. I'm a pro. Don't worry. I completely agree. And I'm going to land on a four because... Hang on. Don't you play with that Velcro thing again. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're familiar with the originals or the Granada app... Adap- Let me start over. Granada adaptations. <laughs> That's a tough one. Granada adaptations. Did you like my advertisement earlier? I did. You didn't. I did. <laughs> Hopefully, Alan will be proud. Well, what were we talking about? Stuff. You can give us a call and leave a voice message. Voice message? Try again. <laughs> I'm totally editing that out. I'm trying to be funny and it's not working. Yeah, I thought it was funny. <laughs> you do what you want with it. <laughs>